Father God, thank you for uh, this time to uh, take a closer look at your word and we do pray that you'd be uh, continuing the work you're doing in our lives, uh, in our hearts, in our minds. Uh, Please uh, use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a teacher who was uh, trying to motivate her, her young student after noticing he wasn't doing as well as he could have been in class. So she says to the student, success in life depends on good education. Now the student looks at the teacher, somewhat reply, uh, somewhat surprised, and, and he replies, not always. Now the teacher says, I beg your pardon? The boy goes on, that's not what my brother says. Now intrigued, the teacher asked, and what does your brother say? Uh, the boy looks at her confidently. My brother says, it's not what you know, it's who you know. The teacher pauses for a moment, nods her head, and says, I see, and who does your brother know? And the boy exclaims, nobody, that's why he doesn't have a job. And that's the end of the conversation. Uh, It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. Sometimes it's an excuse that people use to justify their, their lack of opportunity or achievement in life. But at other times, it's seen as a legitimate stepping stone. If you want to get ahead in life, then you need to make sure you know people who can help you get there. No matter what the area of life it may be, you've probably seen this principle at work in one way or another. You may even have benefited from it from time to time. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. Uh, This is a statement that probably rang true in the minds of the Corinthians. In fact, it seems like the church had become a bit obsessed with this way of thinking. But so far in the letter, it's, it's become clear that the Corinthians are obsessed with, with who they know, which leader they follow. It seems that they've had enough of Paul and his simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. They wanted something more impressive, something that would wow the audiences. People fail to see that the message of the cross is actually the power of God, the message that he uses to save this world. Paul has already mentioned the the cross repeatedly uh, in chapter 1, verse 17, uh, in verse 18, in verse 23, and then in chapter 2, verse 2 as well. The cross is is so central to Paul's ministry. And we've seen it's the, the remedy for wayward Christians, and that is the Corinthians. It's been said that uh, they think of Christian leadership as uh, a vehicle for bringing about their own glory. Associating with the right leader was the way to get ahead in the Christian life. If I'm associated with so-and-so, maybe my stocks will rise as well. And we've seen that in in recent weeks. Uh, Paul's been addressing this issue in Corinth from from slightly different angles, which is why it it feels familiar. But in chapter 4, his focus is on what Christian leadership is. They have a worldly view of Christian leaders, so he corrects it, and he does it in three ways. Firstly, by showing them that Christian leaders are stewards of the cross of Jesus. Uh, I lived in uh, the UK in my early 20s, and someone very kindly entrusted their car to me in the hope that I would take good care of it and put it to good use. Now, it was a a manual car, a little Citroen, 
which I, I was very careful with and, and all was going well until the first time I had to reverse it. Uh, I was trying to put it into reverse, but for some reason it, it wasn't going. So naturally I pushed a little bit harder and harder until snap. Something broke and, and the gear stick was all of a sudden quite loose. And there was some sort of fluid leaking from under the car. Now it turns out there was a little ring under the, the knob on the gear stick which I was supposed to lift up to, to put the car in reverse. Uh, if only I'd known that earlier. I wasn't a very faithful steward in that case. Uh, and funnily enough, in, in more recent times, someone has actually entrusted uh, their car to me currently. And it's also a manual. But thankfully I've, I've worked out how to put it in reverse. Now, Christian leaders have been entrusted with something much, much more valuable than a car. Paul in verse 1 calls it the secret things of God. Uh, we know from earlier chapters that it's this message of the cross of Jesus Christ, Him crucified. They've been entrusted with the message and verse 2, what's required of them is faithfulness. They protect this message, they share it with others and that's what Paul has been trying to do. And it's what Christian leaders today should be committed to doing as well. It's a weak message in the eyes of the world, but it's a message that God has now entrusted to all Christian leaders. Now Paul does the hard yards for us at this point by uh, applying this first point in two ways. Uh, firstly, for leaders, Christian leaders need to, remember, need to remember they will be judged by God. That's why Paul kind of pushes back against the Corinthians in verses 3 to 5. He's not worried if the Corinthians judge him for the way he's ministered among them. He's not concerned if they don't like his style or if he's judged by their human standards. He doesn't even judge himself because he knows, verse 4, it is the Lord who judges him. God will judge whether a leader has been faithful. And that's a challenge for, for Christian leaders, as I imagine it was a challenge for Paul. Because faithfulness comes at a cost. Faithfulness to the message of the cross can lead to people becoming unhappy. It can lead to human disapproval. Imagine you're in a situation where faithfulness to the cross means challenging someone regarding a particular sin. But this person is a person of influence or a person who gives generously to the church. Faithfulness in some situations will come at relational cost and financial cost. Uh, and we know that as a church, think of, think of what, we ha what, what we left behind when, when the split happened. Now, I'm not saying ours is the only way to be faithful to the cross of Jesus. But I am saying, uh, as Paul is saying, there is a cost. And that makes faithfulness very hard. Paul himself is experiencing that. But he knows that while he may answer to man now, he will ultimately be judged by God. All Christian leaders must remember that. Uh, the second implication is for all of us who, who sit under Christian leaders. Verse 5, don't judge your leaders. The Corinthians have, have looked back at, at Paul's initial ministry among them and they've looked at the more recent ministry that's happened among them. And they've decided that Paul isn't nearly as good as their current leaders. They're judging Paul's ministry based on that. But Paul says... Leave that to God. He, he's the one who will judge the hearts of his leaders and their faithfulness. When the Lord returns on that final day, he will judge as necessary. That's not your responsibility. 
They're making judgments based on worldly standards. Maybe they think that church is so small, so that leader mustn't be faithful. Or that leader's facing opposition, so he mustn't be very faithful. But Paul's conscience is clear. He knows he has done what God called him to do. But he knows that even still, that that's not the thing that makes him innocent. God will be the one who weighs up his faithfulness. The one who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Or otherwise. So he says to the Corinthians, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. Now when we hear that, we might think, hang on, aren't Christians supposed to judge our leaders? Uh, well, certainly we need to be discerning. We can discern whether a teacher is being faithful to God's word, but not judgmental in these kind of worldly ways that we've seen as we've gone through Corinthians. The reason we don't do this, verse 5, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise. I'm sure when we think of the, the ministries of, of Christian leaders, we'll have our own ideas of, of who is faithful, who is not. But verse 5 reminds us that so often it's only God who knows what's actually hidden uh, in darkness. Some of the most effective Christian ministers in history have uh, later in life been found to have been hiding sin and, and living in darkness. And at times these are people we as humans have placed on pedestals. I'm sure there will be other Christian leaders who've, uh, who we've dismissed as unimportant or as lacking in influence, as unimpressive in worldly ways, but who have remained faithful to God in the ministry that he's given to them. Now as followers of Jesus, we must trust that he is the one who will expose the hearts of leaders when the time is right. It's not our place to make premature judgments about who is faithful, who is not, or to go around comparing leaders. As this is easier, and this is easier said than done. We all have our, our favourites, our favourite preachers, our favourite podcasts that we listen to, our favourite Christian voices. And we go around uh, making judgments based on how popular they are, how many subscribers they have, how, how wide their reach is, how influential they are. But God is the one who will judge. Wait until his coming. Uh, I see a worrying thing at times in, in Christian circles where we, we find a Christian leader who we like, uh, often online, and there's kind of this unhealthy obsession. We almost make them our leader, even though they, they have no idea who we are. And we see that the glory they receive, and, and we almost try and attach ourselves to it. If I associate myself with them, maybe I'll get some of the glory as well. Of course, we can, we can learn from all sorts of leaders, and, and we should, but we need to be careful when we're drawn to glory. Paul warns against this type of attitude, and, and in verses 6 and 7, he actually uses himself and Apollos as examples because he knows that people have been comparing them and dividing over them. He says, do not go beyond what is written, meaning don't let, judge your leaders in this way because Scripture doesn't ask you to do that. And all the boasting... It makes no sense because all you've done is, is receive these people's ministry and all they've done is steward what was given to them. Paul sees that this is what is happening in Corinth and he is shocked by it. He sees the need for change. So that's, that's the first point. Christian leaders are stewards of the cross and they'll be judged by God alone. And as followers of Jesus, we should refrain from judging uh, them in ways that only, only God can. And next, 
Christian leaders reflect the shame of the cross. This is verses 8 to 13. The Corinthians seem to think that they've now arrived, that they think they're now in Christ and it's onwards and upwards. And they've got their, their wires slightly crossed. They think that following Jesus means that they will reign with him in glory now. They think that following Jesus means getting ahead in life. Uh, and if you like sarcasm, then these next verses are for you. Uh, verse 8 begins, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings. And that without us. How I wish you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. The Corinthians thought they knew what a leader who had been approved by God would look like. Maybe impressive on the outside, powerful in, in status, wise in the eyes of the world, influential, in, inspiring, captivating. And having an association with, with such people was, was great for their own image. But it's not what Christian leaders are about. It's very different to Paul's experience of ministry. And he reflects on this in, in verse 9. It seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. There's a sense of acceptance as, as Paul reveals his lot as a leader. Uh, we're given the imagery of an arena. Uh, picture Roman soldiers after a battle. They, they, they march into the arena. The most important people are at the front, followed by those slightly less important. Uh, and at the very end of the procession are, are the prisoners of war. And even within the prisoners, the most prominent would be at the front, and the least significant of them would be at the back. They'd be among those put to death for the entertainment of the crowds. Paul says uh, the apostles are like the slaves right at the back. They will likely die in that arena. They've been condemned to death. They are made a spectacle of. All of heaven and earth sees it. And we see that the, the life of an apostle couldn't be further from the Corinthian view of a leader. Verse 10, Paul says, We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. To this hour we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth the refuse of the world. Literally the, the dirt that people get rid of, the trash, the filth that is removed. This is the life that the apostles were called to. This is what they endured. It sounds very similar to Christ and his cross, doesn't it? Read the, the gospel accounts as Jesus heads to the cross and it's just like these servants following in the footsteps of their master. Do you see how the Corinthians had gotten ahead of themselves? They wanted glory now, but it's a glory that God promises in the life to come. And sadly, it's a glory that many Christians, like the Corinthians, have tried to pursue in this life. Power, prosperity, praise, 
It's not the goal of a, a Christian leader or, or any Christian in this life. But it will be ours in the life to come when we reign with Christ in glory. Uh, from time to time we can get in that mindset of, of wanting glory in this life, can't we? And, and Christian leaders can very easily fall into that trap. Wanting to be treated uh, like royalty when we're called to be servants. You can see how the Corinthians were, were kind of clashing with Paul and their ideas. They thought that, that Paul should have been prospering. And many make a, a similar mistake today, don't they? I think that Christian leaders, if they're truly faithful, they would be blessed by God. They would be prospering. Uh, I heard recently about the pressure some leaders overseas feel. Uh, if they don't own a, a fancy car, then it's likely to be interpreted as a sign that God hasn't blessed their ministry. Now, that doesn't bode very well for me, borrowing a car. But you see, it's seeking man's approval and not God's. You don't have to go overseas to experience that kind of mindset because that's, that's also the mindset of our society, isn't it? We're a society that links our worth with what we have. And many Christians have, have fallen into that way of thinking. But doesn't it go beyond the Scriptures, seeking glory in this life that God hasn't promised until the life to come? It doesn't mean you can't enjoy the good things that God has given you, but if seeking the approval of man is what's driving you, maybe you need to reassess things. I look at Paul's view on the life of a Christian leader, and, and I've got to be honest, it's, it's terrifying. Christian leaders should expect to be viewed as the, the rubbish of the world, it's not at all appealing. It's not at all easy. It makes no sense to the people in this world. But it's not impossible when our eyes are fixed on Jesus and his cross. So we've seen that Christian leaders are, are stewards of the cross of Jesus. We've seen that Christian leaders are to reflect the shame of the cross. The final thing we see, Christian leaders are to help God's people as they follow the way of the cross. That's the final verses. And they help them in three ways. Firstly, by warning them, verse 14. He's not writing to shame them. He's writing to warn them because he cares for them. Just as a, a loving parent would speak up if they see their child heading for danger, so Paul has been speaking up through this letter. And he mentions they have many guardians in Christ, but not many fathers. A, a guardian in those days had a role to play in uh, children's lives. They, they were kind of like hired help. And even today, a guardian sounds a little bit impersonal, doesn't it? Uh, we talk of legal guardians. They almost sound detached. But a parent is, is much more personal. And it shows Paul's care for the Corinthians is much deeper. And it's a care that leads him to warn them of their present danger. He warns them. Uh, secondly, Christian leaders help God's people by modelling how to live. And in verse 16... Uh, it is a little bit of a surprise. Given he's been so strong at pushing back against their elevation of particular Christian leaders, verse 16 could almost seem out of place. He says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Is he just doing a little bit of self, uh, shameless self-promotion? Well, no. Christian leaders are to model cross-centered lives. Christian leaders are to model cross-centered lives. And therefore, they should be able to say, Imitate me. So Paul says, 
uh, Paul sends Timothy, who will be able to testify as to his way of life. And Timothy will help the Corinthians see that the way of life of Jesus and his cross is the way that they're called to live as well. Now the third way Christian leaders help God's people is by disciplining them where necessary. Verse 18, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming. And Paul makes clear that uh, his intention to come uh, should the Lord allow it. He warns those who have been speaking against him and he, that he will come and set them straight. And he leaves the ball in, in their court in verse 21. He'll come with a whip if necessary, meaning he'll, he'll need to be stern with them to discipline them, or he'll come in love with a gentle spirit if they respond rightly to this letter. Uh, church discipline is, is something that is at times necessary, and it's a help for God's people. And Christian leaders must be prepared to enact it if the warning and the examples uh, fail to make an impact. Now, it won't happen if leaders are only seeking the approval of man, but in some cases it must happen for the glory of Jesus. Uh, some, some leaders are, are certainly too quick to want to enact church discipline. Others are, are probably too quick to shy away. Uh, and I think it's difficult. Leaders must recognize it almost as a last resort or, or, or close to that. But we mustn't shy away from it where necessary. Leaders help God's people live the way of the cross by warning them, by modeling how to live, and by enacting church discipline where necessary. Uh, and we'll think more on that next week as, as Paul uh, continues on that theme. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. If that's true, uh, what a difference it makes knowing Jesus and his cross. It helps us to see what a, a Christian leader really is, a steward of the cross of Jesus, a, a living example of the shame of the cross and a help for people following the way of the cross. Is that our view of Christian leaders? Uh, maybe, maybe there are some ways that, like the Corinthians, we need to change our thinking slightly so that we would glorify God as we follow him. Maybe we're judging leaders as only God, uh, only God should. Maybe we're expecting leaders to live lives that actually contradict the cross. Or maybe we need to start following godly examples of a cross-centered way of life. And that includes responding rightly when God corrects us. Uh, why don't we pray that we will be men and women who do these things by God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the cross of Jesus. And as we've uh, reflected on this passage, I'm sure there are ways that each of us uh, realises uh, that we're falling short. Father, help us to see Christian leaders as you intend us to. Help us to be faithful with what you've given us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.